Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of thy faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I love that we had holy laughter at the beginning. Anglicans don't really do holy laughter, do we? But <laughs> that was like some Holy Spirit giggles from children. It reminded me of Psalm 8 where he says, where we pray um, that out of the mouths of babes you have ordained praise because of your enemies. Because of all this evil that exists in the world, what can stop the giggle of a child bringing a smile to your face? I'm just thankful for that. That was an aside. I think a nomad's life would be hard. Don't you? The life of a nomad is a difficult life. You have no place. You know, you have a group of people, but you never know when the people are going to get up and go. Seasons come and seasons go, and you're up. The animal population upon which you, you live, like the Plains Indians, if the buffaloes go, you've got to go because that's your link to life. You're always leaving, always arriving, always moving. And there's that sense of place, of belonging, as far as a location goes, right? I find it interesting in our, we're doing the Kenyan liturgy again today. Father Paul, one of our, we are doing the Kenyan liturgy. Okay, so one of the prayers that we say is we're remembering the mighty works of God through the ages when we do the Kenyan liturgy is uh, we remember our father Abraham, a nomad that you've chosen. And Nomads kind of mark the Christian life in a lot of ways, even if we're not nomadic, right? If we're anchored here, we have a place. Um, just last night, we had those winds come through, and a couple of my neighbor's trees, branches fell down, and so we were, a bunch of people were out helping clean them up. And I was talking to this man I'd never met before. He was 80 years old, and he's living in the house that his parents owned. Now, that's rooted, right? I don't know if he's a Christian, but I can tell you this. If he is a Christian man, his spiritual life is to be nomadic. And that's kind of a challenge at times, I think. We are called to be aliens and strangers and to, to be compassionate with those who are aliens and strangers. Because don't forget, you too once were an alien and a stranger. Today's passage in Genesis is a story of Jacob at Bethel. And it is a moment where Jacob is most definitely living the nomadic life. And you know what? I'm sure he's got some regrets about that. Because it wasn't Jacob who was a nomad. It was his grandfather, Abraham. And then God graciously brought Abraham to a place. And Jacob has lived there all his life. He's not supposed to be a nomad. He's the inheritor of the promise 
And yet it begins, Jacob left Beersheba and went to Haran. That doesn't mean anything until you look at a map. That's a long way to go. And he's by himself. And this, this leaving, this journey that Jacob is doing, um, it's not like the great journey of faith of Abraham, where God appears to Abraham and says, come with me. No, no, Jacob is on his nomadic journey because of his own fault. So just before this passage, not long before this passage, Jacob lies to his blind father to steal his brother's birthright and blessing. So he's, he's robbed Esau of what is rightfully his, and he has lied to his own father, his aged father who's, who lies to a blind man. And so Jacob is walking along, and now he is. He's nomadic because he's running for his life. Because Esau, he's out for blood, and Esau's a big guy. And he can get it if he wants it. And so Jacob is wandering, and he is on a journey, and he's on this journey by his own, by his own actions. And as he goes through the, the, the countryside, it says the sun is set, and it's getting dark, and he's alone. And he takes a rock, and he pulls it over, and he lays his head upon the rock. Now, that just feels, like I know that's just a detail, that feels to me like what Jacob is experiencing, doesn't it? I've left home, and now I'm laying here, and the most comfort I have is a rock under my head. It's a bad moment for Jacob. And so this young nomad on the run, uncomfortable, I would assume frightened, he's in a wild place, frightened at night, frightened for his life from his brother. He sits there in the dark, and he finally falls asleep, and he has a dream. And it's a dream that changes history. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it. Now, if you grew up in church, you know this story from Sunday school. We hear this story all the time. It's Jacob's ladder, right? Just take a minute and stop and imagine Jacob's experience. In the midst of the darkness and the fear, Suddenly, the darkness peels back and the radiance of heaven explodes from the sky. And there, there is a ladder from the throne of heaven down to earth with its foot on the ground. And there are angels, not like little cherubim like the Renaissance painters you see, you know, like the little, the little kids that just had holy laughter down here, and they've got wings, and they're chubby, and they're cute. No, radiant beings ascending and descending this ladder. And I wonder if they were singing or proclaiming 
God's goodness. So many of the, the visions that we have of heaven show the angels proclaiming God's holiness or singing his praises. The scripture does not say that, but I, I cannot help but wonder. And what are these angels ascending and descending to do? Are they ascending with our prayers to bring before God? Are they descending with God's grace and answers to our prayers? I don't know that either, but I know enough of what it feels like to be in Jacob's place that I bet Jacob was really hoping the ones going up the ladder were taking up his prayers and the ones coming down the ladder were bringing some hope. And there, at the top of the ladder, at the top of the ladder is God looking down on him, on Jacob. Now, apparently this was a, this place, Bethel, was a place of worship through the centuries. Um, and not just worship for, for, for the God of Israel, but people came there for religious experience. Maybe a, what we call a thin space. Have you ever heard people talk about that? This, there are places that the Celtic Christians believed and, and felt this. There are places where, like, the, the veil between heaven and earth is just thin. Maybe that's what Bethel was. But whether it was or not, one thing is for sure. He looked up, alone and frightened, and there was God looking down on him. And he wasn't remote, but rather he had lowered a ladder to Jacob. And behold, the Lord stood above the ladder and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I give you and your offspring. This is coming to the words, these are the words coming to Jacob as he is chased out of his home. And God says, this land, I give it to you and your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. In other words, everywhere. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and the east and the north and the south. And you and your offspring shall all, through you and your offspring, shall all the families of earth be blessed. So it's interesting, you know, you start reading through scripture, and there is a lot of sending. Like I said, the. the the Christian life is a nomadic life in some ways. It's a, a life of being an alien and a stranger. Before the fall, not when they're being cast out of the garden, but in the bloom of their creation, God looks at the man and the woman, and he says, go forth and multiply. They are from the very beginning sent. He tells a Abraham, go. And I will give you, like the stars of the heavens, I will give you offspring and descendants. And now here to Jacob, 
in his low moment, he says the same thing. I will give you descendants. You will not perish in your exile. I will give you descendants like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread. I am sending you, Jacob. Just as you in your shame at this moment for what worse. I mean, like shame is, is, yeah, we don't like shame. And shame is a bad thing, right? Shame comes from the devil, right? But let's be honest, some things are shameful, aren't they? And God looks down on, Abraham, or on uh, Jacob and says, in spite of that, this is what I want you to know. You may be going out today because of your shame, but I will redeem you. And I will send you forth and your descendants throughout the world. This place will be your home, but I will spread from there. You will spread from there. And the reason, the reason is not primarily Jacob. So God sends us. He sends us. But when he sends us, the purpose is not primarily you. He says this with, um, with Abraham, and now he's saying it again with Jacob. The purpose of your blessing is that you can be a blessing to the nations. Israel is called Jacob, his father, his family, his descendants. They're called in order to be a blessing to the whole world around them. And we're here today. Because of that, are, are there any, is there anyone here with, who's Jewish? Do we have any Jews here? In our church in northern Kentucky, surprisingly, we had several Jewish folks um, in, in a tiny little congregation. It's not that common. All of that is to say, when God says, I am sending you out to be a blessing to all the nations, you're the nations. So this is a moment of a promise of your redemption through this man and his descendants. So God, God reaches out in his most frightened moment, reaches out to Jacob, and he gives him a promise, and he gives him a purpose. And the promise is that he will multiply him and send him. And the purpose is that he might be a blessing. Centuries and centuries later, Jesus looked at one of his disciples. This is in the very end of John chapter 2. Looked at one of his disciples and he said, Nathan, you will look and see Angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. In other words, I'm the latter. Jesus says, I am the bridge between heaven and earth. And the latter reaches down, not just to the righteous, but to the unrighteous. In fact, maybe primarily to the unrighteous, the ones that God has come to redeem, that God sent his son to bring home. 
And that should be a comfort to us in moments when, when, when we're having a moment of exile and a nomadic moment because of our own doing. Know that God sends the ladder to you. There was a 6th century theologian named, well, he went by the, the name Dionysius. And he envisioned the whole church as one big ladder. And it, he's, he, he's very specific, and he's, it was actually, yeah, he's really specific. Um, and the ladder is in three parts. There's the, the celestial, and that's the angels, and he has all these ranks upon ranks of angels. And then there's, there is the, the, the clergy, and then there's ranks, and then there's the laity and the, and the monastics, and there's all these ranks. But the point being, for him, for Dionysius, there is no better and worse, higher or lower, for him, we find our being in the ladder. It's not something for climbing. It's something to be part of. Right? We don't ascend the body of Christ. We belong to it. And so it is in, in this moment we look up and we see this bridge, this ladder, this way to salvation and way to hope and God's way to us. And we're not really called to climb. We're called to be. Because the ladder is Christ and we are his body. We're all nomads. We're all nomads but God has given us an anchor in the veil. He gave Jacob this vision as an anchor to remind him as he wandered that he has a place and a promise and a purpose. Today, we have a veil, an anchor in the veil, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Do you know that passage where he tells his disciple, uh, you will see the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Right after that is the wedding of Cana, where he turns water into wine. Do you see, do you see what that's saying? That Christ, at the right hand of God, in heaven, remote, is here. He's here. And so we wander through our lives in hardships and sufferings and sorrows, but with angels and archangels and all the triumphant saints, the whole host of heaven, all the triumphant saints, the whole host of heaven, we come and commune and find our place in the ladder So friends, um, whether you are being sent today, whether you are being sent into difficult places at work or places of hardship in your home or family or in your school or what, whatever it would be, as you are sent into these places, what I, what I want to remind you 
is this is your anchor. And you're called always, always, always to come and return to this anchor because it is here that you find your being. It is here that you live and move and have your being because Christ is here. So, Church of the Redeemer, today I want to encourage you to remember that you are sent, that you are on a journey. Do not be complacent. Go into your coffee shops, your libraries, your workplaces, your homes, wherever it is you are, and understand that you are the seeds of the kingdom being scattered abroad. But as you go, know that you have a place on the ladder. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.